step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Sandeep Roy Show on Express Audio. The Sandeep Roy Show. In 2011, many were shocked when crime reporter Jyotirmoy Dey was gunned down in Mumbai. What was even more shocking was when a fellow journalist, Jigna Vora, was arrested for being involved in the murder. Professional jealousy was mentioned as a motive, and thus the reporter herself became the reported. It took Vora years to clear her name. By then the news cycle had moved on. The attention Jigna Vora's acquittal got was far less than the attention her arrest received. She wrote behind bars in Baikulla, a diary about her time in prison, and her story has become the springboard for the new Netflix series Scoop, directed by Hansal Mehta. Mehta fictionalizes the characters, so Jigna Vora becomes Jagruti Pathak. but most of the characters are based on real people but scoop is more than a story about a woman's fight to clear her name it's really a commentary on a woman's fight to make a name for herself in a boys club and it's a story about crime politics and journalism and the way they are intertwined in our public life Hansal Mehta joins us to talk about scoop and a lot more from Shahid to Sanjeev Kapoor And by the way, if you have not watched Scoop yet, there are spoilers here. Hansal Mehta, welcome to the show. Hi, hi Sandeep. You know, watching the newsroom in Scoop, I was wondering, are you still a print man as in do you still like a traditional newspaper? Yes, I do. I mean, I not that it's of any use these days, but I get all the papers and it's a thing in the morning to read all the papers from the Times of India to Hindustan Times to the Indian Express to Economic Times and Midday all the papers. So I get all of them and uh, my wife keeps saying that you know the headlines also are the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an old habit. So when we were growing up the newspaper was considered your gateway to a better vocabulary but in scoop was it more challenging to get a media newsroom especially one before the digital age right than say the prison yeah i mean it was a challenge because you see the prison there is some reference whether it is you know films that you've seen in india films that you've seen overseas there there are cinematic references of prisons not that they are all authentic but there is some reference newspapers your references you know when you visit like as a film person when you are promoting your films you visit a newspaper office and it's primarily based on your observations then and you really don't know what exactly goes into that edit room what exactly goes behind taking something that you have said and making it into something that Uh, somebody would want to read so it was more than you know just the appearance of the newsroom it is also the process within the newsroom 
the news procedural so to speak that was you know more challenging when i was lucky we had the nx indian express uh, you know reporter deepu sebastian on the research team we had ankur who is ex times of india so we had both of them in the writers room and ankur was with us on set the cinematic references to newsrooms are either television shows like the newsroom and uh, you know say spotlight was a film indian films unfortunately you know besides new delhi times times that's the only one i could think of that's the only one i can really say that you know this is truly representative in many ways of a newspaper you know otherwise it's so caricaturish and i mean recently it was scam 1992 where again there was an attempt to replicate the times of india newsroom in those heady early 90s Did you also have to have like sort of a woman in the workplace consultant because so much of this series is about so many characters and not just Jagruti Pathak the main character but it is about women navigating a sort of men's world and this constant question about can you be ambitious and yet likable that was the starting point that you know what is the show about so i thought for me that one line the price of ambition it began from that the price of ambition and being an ambitious woman so it's an exploration of ambition in a middle class person it helped one that the book it was based on the protagonist is a woman and uh, there are so many references to other women in that book then my co-creator munmai is a woman so i mean that definitely helps in the lens that ultimately you know the story uses to you know narrate uh, this uh, entire thing I have not read Jignavora's memoir but is this something that beyond her experiences is this something that she introspects and interrogates this being a woman trying to make her way in this world of crime reporting and media I've done a lot of biographies in my life and when you talk to this people who are sort of represented in those true stories they sort of connect to your own insight so it's a lot of it is hindsight rather than insight you know now i don't know if that kind of introspection was there at that time the introspection is primarily that of the writers and of the creators and uh, somewhere jigna when she saw what was there in the show she connected to it she connected to the way we interpreted her own predicament her own place within this you know very patriarchal setup i know she appears as a sort of postscript in the show to talk about what happened but you consciously did not want to actively involve her in the process yeah because you see the book was the trigger point for this story the book was just mainly a prison life we wanted to go beyond that and to go beyond that we had to make the story far more universal it can could not be limited to one person you know so this story while it is about this woman through her you explore this entire world of police the nexus between the cops the reporters gangsters politicians you know that entire network you sort of try to examine how in examining that uh, you will dramatize you will need to rely heavily on things that are sometimes unsubstantiated so which goes into the realm of fiction and uh, we did not want to be limited which is why we fictionalized the things while everything is drawn from the people who were there at that time and uh, the experiences of jigna at that time we have also tried to go beyond that was the character of deepa the young reporter who is sort of her 
mentee, but then eventually becomes ambitious and goes after her Jagruti as a story, as it were. Was that also drawn from real life? Well, partly. I think partly drawn from real life. It's a composite of many characters. You know, it's sort of representative of the fact that the people that you worked with, your colleagues, suddenly turned against you at that time. So the character is more representative. It's a composite of multiple things that the character faced. It is a fictional character, but it is derived from multiple real characters. I don't want to give it away for people who haven't yet seen it, but I mean, it is based on a true story. So I was wondering in Deepa's character, when I was watching the series, I was wondering whether you would show her after Jagruti is finally acquitted and whether this would be a sort of wake up moment for her and, you know, she would take stock of what had happened or whether it would just inspire her to go into television journalism full on. Okay, I'm giving you a scoop right uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So we shot with Deepa. That was the original end of the show where Deepa has become a television reporter and she's reporting on the death of a film star, an accused partner. She's reporting, she's doing this sensational news piece. We shot that. It was there. I mean, it ended the show on a fairly shocking note. But what it did is this entire story narrative that we had built up over the period of six episodes suddenly became about Deepa and it became about the new case. And we did not want to fall into that. While it was a very populist, very shocking ending, we wanted to go beyond that, you know. So what we have right now, you sort of reconnect with Jigna Vora. And then from that, you connect to the number of reporters who have either lost their lives or have disappeared or have been, you know, incarcerated for doing their job. What are your memories of the Jyotirmoy De Jigna Vora case when it was happening? Well, I get all the papers. I used to get Asian Age also at that time. And it was very funny that Asian Age, I did not see any reports on Jigna so I would see the other papers, read about it. And I found it even then, I was quite fascinated by it because, you know, I always wonder how is she responsible? How is she conspiring to murder? You know, it's such a big conspiracy. And uh, always that the grounds were so flimsy that she had given his address and number. Which the gang lord who controls enormous empire needs to get it from her. And to see that, you know, while the case is based on such flimsy grounds, we believe the larger reality. We are ready to throw anybody under the bus. As long as we get a good story, as long as it feels sensational enough. So, you know, throwing a woman under the bus, you know, it sort of titillates you while you're having your cup of tea in the morning. But without us realizing that, you know, what it is doing to that person. So that was one thing. And of course, my other memory is very eerie because uh, before J.D. passed away, I think two or three weeks before he passed away, I was working on the script of Shahid at that time. And uh, my producer knew Jyotirmoy Day. So he connected me to J.D. We spoke and uh, he said that he would come to the office the next day to meet me. So we had a long chat. He spoke to me about Shahid. He says, you know, what do you know? I said, well, I know. So I had typically prime journalist. So he said... Uh, he had a deep voice and he says, oh, there's a lot more, there's a lot more. You need to know much more. I'll give you information. It was very secretive and I kept probing. I said, what information? So he kept asking me what I had. You know, it's as if he's probing another journalist. So I said, look, mine is a story. I'm trying to tell a story through a film. So if you have something and it's useful to me, I will use it. Because I'm interested in the human story. I'm not really interested in conspiracy theories. So 
we had that conversation and few weeks later suddenly i find out the same guy i spoke to has been shot dead eerie but when you have these people as characters in a series and you know you're not really making disguising the fact that you know so so and so is supposed to be jyotirmoy day so and so is based on jigna bora but these people are not famous figures like a mahatma gandhi or a nehru and stuff so is it at all important to you at this point as to whether they remind people who knew of them of the people they're based on no in fact i want to go beyond that i believe that you know the interpretation of the character and what the character represents in the larger scheme of things for today's times because ultimately what is uh, scoop it's a cautionary tale for our times and that cautionary tale is told through these characters and those characters need to be represented correctly by the correct actors so i'm somebody who does not really believe in that physical likeness at all unless you're making a gandhi which you are <laughs> which which i am <laughs> but otherwise even harshad mehta if you look at prati gandhi he does not have that kind of physical likeness to the original harshad i believe even rajkumar rao for that matter did not look like uh, shai rajmi manoj bajpayee did not look like professor siras the important thing is that uh, did the professor siras's story resonate with you what did it do to you and for me that is more important i mean i i'm not that much of a stickler for likeness you see because likeness is not just about that physical likeness then you try to copy the person's voice it becomes caricaturism you know i'm more interested in the internal struggle of the character i'm more interested in the character as a whole becoming a part of your consciousness you said you looked at it as a cautionary tale this happened what 2011 was when jyotirmoy dey was killed so it's been over a decade since then Do you think we've learned anything in terms of a cautionary tale? Because I mean, Jigna Vora, as is clear, I mean, she may have been acquitted, but she certainly didn't get her life back in real measure. So we haven't, no. And which is why you need to keep telling these tales. You have to keep reminding people that listen, we are only getting worse. You know, now the people almost feel innocent. When you look at the Arnabs and the Navika Kumaras of, of the world, uh, these people look like you know children. The characters that we have shown. and in fact i was thinking while watching a uh, scoop is that wow this came from a time where the evidence against her is so flimsy that they are not able to mention many of these things in the charge sheet but it is still feels like an innocent time where they can't plant things on your laptop well i shudder to think if this same thing had happened today arnab goswami would have found 20 stories to make out of just that phone number and the address and the vehicle number he would have created an entire narrative around it and he would have filled you know one entire month of prime time so looking back what do you think it i mean since you said this much more sometimes about hindsight rather than insight what do you think the whole saga said about the role of media in a democracy because i had a feeling that i mean you can't compare these things necessarily but I got a feeling that she was probably betrayed more by her own colleagues than by the police who were just you know looking for a scapegoat maybe what is it telling you about media the character played by mohan jishan ayub why does everyone say this is the boss wish i had because that a person with simple idealism is sorely missing in our times that democracy and idealism they are somehow seen as strange bedfellows today it tells you about unethical unscrupulous work in the name of journalism so a lot of the dialogues are telling they're telling us about our time you know earlier it used to be that one dialogue where earlier it used to be that if 
the news is good, then it is controversial. Now, if it's controversial, it's good. So, you know, those lines like that, that, and even Jagruti's own uh, admission in jail to another inmate, saying that somewhere I am responsible for the murder of journalists. I think that is a larger message out there, you know, that, you know, we journalists are perhaps murdering journalism. You know, the fourth estate is destroying the fourth estate. It is destroying democracy. And I think that is the larger story, which is why the epilogue of the series is so important. That people who want to do this honestly, people who want to uphold journalistic uh, ethics, where are they? They are either dead or they are arrested or uh, they are missing. Even though in this case, the Jagruti's character does, after whatever, seven years, get acquitted. Number one, the point they make is all the journalists who were there to see her get charged are missing when she's acquitted and walks out. I must tell you, quite a few journalists from that time reached out to me. Hmm. And a lot of them carry this guilt. And maybe we were party to, you know, some of these damaging pieces. And they reached out to me, many of them. Maybe not in that many words, but they tried to speak about it. It's not that there's no looking back, that there is no way out of this. Because I think ultimately everybody, all of us are human beings and we have a conscience. Journalists are no different. And I think uh, if this show has sort of appealed to the conscience of, say, three or four from that time, I think it has done an important job. As a filmmaker, you are very drawn to subjects of people with a conscience against a system that is trying to wear them down. It is. I fight that all the time. It's my own struggle with myself. And I think that struggle I represent through my characters. How is it your struggle? You fight with your conscience all the time. You know, you are trying to compete and survive. In a world, I've been making films for the last uh, 30 years. I mean, I mean, I've been in this business for 30 years. Kana Gazana, 30 years. 25 years back, I made my first film. And uh, I've hustled my way to wherever I am. And uh, in the process, yes, you have done things that uh, sometimes you probe your own conscience about. And I think through my characters, I sort of try to exercise some of those demons. How did somebody from a computer engineering background end up doing Kana Kazana? <laughs> There's some explanation for that because it's, you know, a food show. It's about food and it's a passion that I have, which is, I think, greater than cinema for me. Kana Kazana was essentially a business idea for me because ZTV had just started and, you know, we had an opportunity that time. It was this window of opportunity. You know, before that, it was Doodarshan. Nobody who even thought of creating something could get into the bureaucratic and, you know, highly power-centric Doodarshan setup, which is why Doodarshan collapsed. ZTV was a very democratic place. You could just walk in with a proposal. And that's what happened. I just typed a proposal for a lark, for a food show. It was a 10-page proposal. I took a bus to the ZTV office in Burley and uh, kept a folder. And the folder was from my computer company. It was called Hansel Mehta Associates. Very humble name. So I dropped the proposal in that. And funnily, in three weeks, they called me and said, we want to make the show. And did Sanjeev Kapoor come through you or through them? No, through me. Sanjeev Kapoor, I found. I found him in the kitchen of the centaur Juhu. So much before Rajkumar Rao, Pratik Gandhi, or uh, any of these, uh, you know, wonderful actors came into my life, I think the first talent, my biggest blockbuster is Sanjeev Kapoor. And what made you think that this guy could be the face of a food show? 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was looking for a credible face for the, you know, I believe even now and i believe then you know when nobody was making food shows i said you know food shows need to be hosted by somebody the country needs to learn cooking from a person who gives them that credibility who represents the credibility that you know i can uh, actually make this food that i love in restaurants i can make that in my house but that is obviously something that you've carried through your casting choices all your all your film like trying to find credible people and a lot of people for example have been commenting so much about the fact that uh, rediscovering harman baweja or reintroducing him to the acting role that was also where it occurred to you that this guy even though he's given up acting for years could do this role yeah i mean it was an instinctive decision you know i've known harman for a while so you know life also comes in a full circle harman was 19 years old when he joined my production he was producing on behalf of his father a film that i was directing it was a sex comedy called ye kya ho raha hai so yeah the man who has made shayad and scam and scoop also made a sex comedy called ye kya ho raha hai which was a very american pie derivative at that time and fortunately for me it did not succeed It was terrible. It was a terrible film. But Harman and I became very close at that time. It was his first film. It was his sort of foray into this business. And uh, we got very close and we kept talking. And he was actually producing. His experiences with acting were not very pleasant. So he had given up on that career. He was focusing on writing and producing. And uh, he was producing a film which I was directing. And in the casting process of that film, Harman got cast for Scoop. <laughs> Did you have to work hard to persuade him to try again since he seemed burnt by the experience? A bit, yes. He did not want to go back there. You have that kind of post-traumatic stresses, you know, really high. Day after day, I mean, people make fun of you. They completely write you off. They rubbish you. They write all kinds of mean things. I mean, having to deal with that in real life and then to deal with failure. You've sort of invested your life, your family, your father has invested money into your career and all that has failed, all those calculations have failed and then you're ridiculed day in, day out. So that kind of trauma is very difficult. You know, one does not want to relive that trauma. So I had to talk to him, persuade him and he said, okay, you know, don't make it look like I'm one of the main characters, just say I mean, they're in a special appearance, which is why, you know, a lot of people ask me, why have you put guest appearance there? You know, special appearance. I said, you know, that was his need. It made him feel comfortable. So it was mainly done to make Harman feel comfortable with his character. And I told him, your character is not a special appearance. It is much more than that. <laughs> But yeah, when he started working, he started enjoying it. And now, you know, when people have seen it, it's like a vindication. You know, he sent me a link to one of publications, you know, the best performances of the month. And his was the number one performance. And he said, you know, who would uh, have imagined that my name would come as the top performance of the month? Now he'll be so busy acting, you're not going to be able to get him for your producer meetings. Well, right now I'm trying my best to persuade him to come and party with me. <laughs> well, maybe you'll have good luck with that. But uh, did it also help in persuading him that you've been through such... ups and downs i mean there was a time i remember you 
said that you almost gave up on your dream. Oh, well, I did not give up on my dream. My dream was to, I, why did I get into this? You know, why did I make my first film? Why was I making film? It made me happy. Filmmaking makes me happy. Storytelling makes me happy. The process is something that I really cherish. When I stopped, when I felt that I was not enjoying the process, when I felt that the process had become tedious, I felt that, you know, the need to take a backseat. And if need be, take a backseat for the rest of my life. But, you know, I don't take these decisions like that. That You know, I will never come back to this. I'm a huge uh, sports buff. I've learned from the best sportsmen in the world that you never say never. Right now, my big inspiration is uh, Novak Djokovic. He inspires me. I mean, you you can come back from three sets behind. And that's what I've done all my life. But why do you say it got tedious that you were not enjoying the process? Was it because as a storyteller, you were not getting to tell the kinds of stories you wanted? I was making choices that were based on compulsions that were not necessarily driven by my love for stories or that were representing my own concerns, angst, or my own consciousness, what was within me. So I had made myself into a commodity in a marketplace and that too a very unsaleable commodity. I was not even succeeding at what I was at my own commoditization. I thought it's better if none of it is working, then I'll take a backseat and see where life takes me. I think I need to find some other thing to make me happy. And so actually I spent two, two and a half years in my village and it was really nice. I was growing my own vegetables. I was cooking my all the meals for the family. And I think that period allowed me to introspect. It also allowed me to say that, you know, I will make films that only when I feel that I want to make them and when I'm completely convinced. And then I will make it no matter how. You know, I needed to get that desperation back to tell a story. And Shahid Azmi's story sort of brought that desperation with me. Shahid, Aligarh, Hometa, oh, Scoop, Scam, everything. I mean, they sort of rekindled my desperation to tell stories. And when you went back to telling stories like with Shahid, I remember you've talked about the fact that that your old scars were also in that story. I mean, in the scene where Shahid's face gets blackened outside court. Yeah, I mean, that was a very unfortunate incident where my face was blackened and I was called before this whole crowd to apologize for a dialogue that they knew nothing about. It was actually when I look back, it was like a dark comedy that the people who blackened my face did not know what the issue was. I kept asking them, which dialogue is it? None of them had seen the film. And there are thousands of people. None of them had seen the film. And that is precisely the world we are living in. We don't even know what we are fighting about. We just rushed to blacken that person's face. So it was a larger comment. And it happened instinctively. I mean, it was not really planned. The sequence in Shahid's life, something like that had not happened. There were people who had gone and, you know, sort of thrown stones outside his house. They had smashed his car's windshield. We unfortunately did not have the budget to break somebody's glass or windshield. <laughs> so I found a solution which was borrowed from my own life. <laughs> the cheapest trauma you could find. And the most personal. Yeah. You know, so ultimately, I think stories have to be personal. You know, your storytelling, while it talks about this entire, about the public, is the personal that resonates. So Jagruti Patak's story resonates because it is a, ultimately a very personal journey. You know, the journey of her family, the people around her, why Haruman Babeja's character, with all its flaws, is appealing. Because it's human. Because it's personal. You know, so I think that is important. You know, that whole personalization of the public. 
Well, and also when you look back at it, you realize that uh, all of these characters, whether it's Jagruti or Professor Siras in Aligarh or in Shahid, in some way or the other, at some point, are all getting their faces blackened by an angry mob who doesn't necessarily even know what they've been accused of. Exactly. It's the story of our times. And I went through the experience in 2000. And I had actually forgotten about it. I blacked it out to my mind. I did not want to think about it. You know, it's only when I went into hibernation, when we started, we had begun this blog. And that blog was very provocative. You know, we had lots of filmmakers that time trying to find the independent voice. And we used that blog to sort of express ourselves. And in that expression, I sort of relived that time. You know, when uh, this whole My Name is Khan controversy had happened, I sort of relived the time that this had happened and I wrote about it. I wrote about that trauma. And uh, I think I realized that it never leaves you. It is all part. It is imprinted. It is etched within you. You know, no matter how much you believe that it is wiped out, it doesn't get wiped out. But now, as a filmmaker, do you worry that that angry mob, which is itching to take offense at something you didn't even think was offensive in the film, has been even more empowered and emboldened, whether they're taking on the new Ramayan film or whatever it is, and um, that you're being boxed in further? I don't see it that way anymore. I don't give a damn. You know, there are people to take care of that. You know, those boundaries, uh, they're set very invisibly because you work within a framework. You work for a studio, for a platform, your writers, your entire creative team. So everybody, so what happens right now is that, you know, within that framework, you try to tell your story. The challenge is that. So I see it in a positive light that, you know, when there is uh, repression, the most vivid expression is possible. You just look at Iranian cinema, you know, it comes out of adversity. Not that we are making a case for adversity here. <laughs> no, I'm making a case for, you know, telling these stories. You know, I cannot have a lazy argument that, oh, these times are so tough. So I am telling you all these mediocre stories and I'm telling you all these silly, I'm making all these stupid uh, propaganda films. No, there's no excuse for that. I think I have to be more creative. Before OTT, were you constantly being told that the audience does not want the kind of films you want to make? Well, not in that many words. They would say, you know, they want those films. The good thing is the industry has been very supportive of me. They've always respected me for the work I've done. Hmm. You know, but I would be told that, you know, your films don't work. So make one commercial film and so that you can make five more early years. But that doesn't happen. You see, that exchange doesn't really happen. You know, I've tried. I've had my deviations even in the last decade and a half, where I've tried to, you know, in order to find that elusive uh, populist kind of cinema, to be able to make an aligarh, you know, to not have this end of the road staring at me. But I realized that, you know, it's, uh, that is futile. It's futile. You do what you believe in. And somewhere, the success of Scam 1992, I think that emboldened and empowered me. Yeah, because I think if the populist film had succeeded, you you would be under even more pressure to make more populist. You'd be like the Harman Baveja character on his treadmill, like <laughs> never able to get off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a difficult one, you know, it's a tough one. It's just, you have to ask yourself, what do you want out of life? You know, so I still live in a rented apartment and I have no issues with it. You know, it does not trouble me that another contemporary lives in a bungalow that he has bought for a humongous amount of money. I think everyone needs to find happiness 
whether it is through the house that they have bought or through the films that they make. Either way, I have to find happiness. You seem to have like really found your stride again with OTT. And like now that we've been in it this for a few years, how do you think it is recalibrating the entertainment business? It's still early days. You see, Inside Edge was the first Indian original that came out on Amazon Prime. That was 2017-2018. And I think it's five to six years since Indian originals have actually been made for the streaming platforms. We did not have HBO in our country. Our television went through its own cycle, its own creative emergence and death. But it did not really match the aesthetics of the storytelling that, say, an HBO propagated. So we did not have that platform for nearly two decades to be able to tell those stories, to be able to learn from the medium. Television really did not happen to us. Streaming happened to us and I think we've not done badly in these five years. The quality of originals that we have made, I think has given a new lease of life to filmmakers. And uh, they have uh, really, I think, empowered us to tell stories differently and better. How has it made you think differently about how to, you know, about writing for OTT, writing for an audience that will binge watch as opposed to sitting and watching a two-hour film? I think uh, ultimately writing, it is driven by the story that you're telling. So the process is the same, whether it's writing for film or writing for streaming. Streaming just needs greater amount of discipline and application. And uh, the discipline is in, you know, uh, this humongous amount of material and sort of working on the narrative and on the rewriting of it constantly. It needs stamina, it needs endurance, it needs discipline. And otherwise, I mean, it needs the same skills. Because you're engaging with an audience, you're engaging through the story that you're telling, you're engaging through the characters. What OTT allows you in the writing process is to explore characters more freely. The ability and the opportunity to tell character-driven stories is greater on streaming because of the uh, long format. That, you know, you, your story can be told in six hours, eight hours, ten hours. Your scam was nearly eight and a half, nine hours. You know, scoop is nearly six hours. So in that time, you're able to really explore characters better. Yeah, that actually struck me that, that in a sense, it is character-driven versus plot-driven. I mean, of course, there's a plot there, but it is character-driven. So the mother who wears a scarf around her head in Bombay heat is... Like a motif that occurs that you start getting invested in. And at some point, I remember messaging a Gujarati friend of mine and saying, is this a Gujarati thing that in Bombay heat you should wear a scarf around your head? And that is, and she, that is a nuance that the actor got it. Which is, it's observed, it's an observation she, of women around her in her own household. So she created that, you know, so that she had the space even within that small character who hardly speaks. She got to create a character. So the joy of creating character, you know, and personally, if you've seen all my work, my stories have been more about character. Aligarh, for example, was a character study more than a plot. You know, it was about Professor Siras and his loneliness. And that loneliness, because of whatever the persecution, the plot becomes incidental. Yeah, it was loneliness. I mean, I think it was one of the most poignant uses of Lata Mangeshkar. In a certain sense, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. film, you know. That... Again, it's so, so personal. It's so personal. 
and you know it's like a intermingling like lata mangeshkar my assistant asmit had got me a we he somehow found a book of poems by professor siras from nagpur got a photocopy so we started reading the poems and there was a very childish poem on lata mangeshkar which professor siras had written on a 60th birthday and you would see you know at regular intervals he had written all these poems on lata mangeshkar so that sort of stuck in your mind and now hansel when you say that you getting to tell the stories that you want do you worry at all about audiences because you've said before we we've, we've tended to underestimate our audience and i think sometimes that can go both ways i mean look everybody panned a film like kerala story but it seems to have found its audience whether you like it as a film or not i think we cannot overthink this you have to be faithful to the story that you are telling you will tell it the way you believe it should be told and you need to trust the audience a scoop will not have the same audience that scam has shahid will not have the same audience that say a kashmir files got okay but they each of them has their own audience you know so films we have to make them trusting our audience we have to make them within the parameters of uh, our own understanding of storytelling within the parameters of our own craft my issue is that sometimes we dumb down things because we believe the audience is stupid and that is what i don't uh, agree with and finally now hansel now that your own son is in filmmaking do you have advice for him does he come to you for advice he does it's not advice we we talk we talk like contemporaries like friends because i mean you know jay was born when i was very young so we sort of connected with each other when he had touched 17 18 and when he started working with me so we connected to each other more as friends as colleagues and we talked about work like that and the uh, biggest thing i've learned from all these years is that you know advice is not welcome so i don't advise and uh, now that scoop is done do you think there will be a scoop too yes oh that's a categorical yes <laughs> yes of course and uh, would it follow deepa no No. Okay. I'm not going to play more 20 questions with you about <laughs> yeah. this. We will discover this when we discover it. Yeah, we are also in the process of discovery. So, you know, it's very premature to say. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hansel Mehta. Thank you. Thank you, Sandeep. Hansel Mehta is the award-winning director of films and web series like Shahid, Aligarh, Scam 1992. His latest is Scoop. Send us your scoops wherever you get your podcasts from. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Express Podcasts. Thanks as always for listening. This show was produced by Shashank Bhargav and edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. This is Sandeep Roy on Express Audio. Step into the world of power. loyalty and luck I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chapacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chapacasino.com welcome to the family VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.